What's up, everybody? Welcome into a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. So glad to be with you for the next two hours because it's game week. Yes, Sunday kick noon against the Indianapolis Colts on September 11th. Looking forward to the game maybe more so than any opener in quite some time. Very curious to see not only how the Texans look in week one, but also how the Colts look and how the Texans obviously stack up to one of the teams perceived to be great this year. Now, we got a jam-packed show. Mark Vandermeer stopping by in just a little bit for an interview, but he's also going to be here for 20 questions. We got D.P. Suter sitting down with John Grenard. We've got men behind the mics, Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts with Mark. And then we got a little in the lab, but we kick off tonight's show with the general manager of your Houston Texans, Nick Casario. And of course, we got to get his thoughts right after shoot game week, baby. Let's go. You excited? Excited about the opportunity here on Sunday. So I think the team will be ready to go. Big challenge in front of us. So um, we'll have to play good football. Nick, we talked a little bit about the Colts last week, but now we can really dive in. And a player that interests me in a good way and a bad way is Grover Stewart. For the Colts. We all know about the Forrest Buckner. We know about Shaquille Leonard. But Grover Stewart sort of flies under the radar. He got a second contract from the Colts. I think it's a guy that Chris really believes in, that defense really believes in. How much of a problem does he become in the middle? Yeah, absolutely. I'd say probably is a player that can kind of help solidify their front. Kind of slow start to his career, but it's turned into a really good player. I think what makes him unique is for how big he is, 6'6", 340. He's a big man, but he's very athletic for his size. So his length, his playing strength, he's got good quickness. So when you pair that with a player like Buckner on the interior of their defense, like they want to be strong in the middle of the defense, and those are two players that give them the opportunity to do that. Nick, we always talk draft with you and players coming out of college, but you guys scout all the teams in the league here. And Matt Ryan, veteran, 37 years old, and you evaluated him coming out of college too. What do you make of his career, the trajectory, and what he brings to the Colts? Yeah, he's had a great career. There's no question about it. So he's been a very consistent player, very dependable player, very durable player. I mean, he's been on the field essentially every game that he's been that he's played. So it speaks to his preparation and speaks to his toughness. Uh, he's a very skilled player, very accurate, and I want to say he's around I don't know, 65% career completion percentage, which for a quarterback is really good. So makes good decisions, anticipates well, instinctive, smart with the ball. He's very, very tough. So for a player that doesn't necessarily move a lot, you know, he's more of a, a pocket thrower, but he's very tough. He knows how to move within the pocket, um, and he can deliver the ball under stress and under duress. So um, I think they're excited about what he potentially could bring to their offense. So it's certainly going to be a challenge for our defense, no question about it. Nick, two years after the fact, I'm still trying to figure out how Jonathan Taylor got to the second round and then how he got to the Indianapolis Colts, which I hate all those teams that decided to pass on him. So he could go to Indianapolis, and now he's turned into arguably one of the top five players in the league, arguably the top running back in the league. Why does he create such issues for defenses? Yeah, I mean, really, he does everything well. He's big, he's 225, 230 pounds, and he's fast. So when you put that combination together, and he's instinctive, and he's got a good, uh, good running style, good lower body strength, and if you give him any space, which unfortunately we saw that in our games last year, if you give him any space, he gets into the space so quickly, and then he's got really good top-end speed and acceleration. So if you don't have enough speed in the second, third level of defense, he's just going to run away from you. So 
we're going to have to make sure. I mean, tackling is going to be at a premium. I know Lovey's talked about that a little bit here during the course of the week, but tackling is going to be at the premium, getting multiple hats to the ball. You just can't give them any space. So the run fits and leveraging the ball are going to be important against their offense. And I, I know we're talking a lot about Taylor, but Hines presents as many problems. So it's a good mm-hmm. one-two punch. So they really complement each other well. They're both fast. Naheem isn't as big as Jonathan but he's equally as fast and as explosive. So when those two players are on the field, it potentially puts the defense in conflict. But they're two really good players, and we're going to have to contend with them, no question about it. Well, it's an interesting offense to evaluate because Phillip Rivers two years ago, Carson Wentz last year, and now you have Matt Ryan. How are they different, you think, or is it all still a Frank Reich project and it's going to be very similar? Yeah, I mean, this is Frank and, and Coach Brady, so they had the, the system's been in place here for, for a number of years, and I think what they try to do is modify to their offense to whoever is playing quarterback, but I'd say there's a lot of similarities between Phillip and Matt. I mean, I want to say they're the same player, and even Carson to some extent. Carson maybe a little bit more athletic, had a little better movement skills, but they're all big, they're all strong. You know, they all are, are, are tough. They play from the pocket. Um, so they have their system in place. They think there's going to be some things that they're going to do regardless of who's playing quarterback. I mean, starts with the running game. I mean, Pittman's emerged as a, a really good young player. Uh, they drafted Pierce in the second round. They've mm-hmm. used Doolin at different points. So they have, I would say, they're explosive offensively, and they can score from anywhere on the field. So I think big plays, tackling um, will be at a premium just in terms of preventing those from a defensive side of the ball. They've added, like you said, Pierce. They've added a few rookies. They haven't added a much in a lot of other places except for one guy that you actually know pretty well out at corner. Xavier Rhodes out. Stephon Gilmore steps into that spot and watching him during the preseason. You look, okay, that's the Gilmore that we all know. What kind of problem does he present, Nick, Stephon Gilmore out on the outside for the Colts now? Yeah, Steph's a really good player. Um, he's He's got good length, six foot, 190 pounds. He runs well. He's a very instinctive player. Like, he understands football. He understands splits. He understands receivers. And he plays the ball well. And he's very competitive, despite his, I would say, demeanor and how he articulates his thoughts. He's a really good kid. He's a good football player. Kind of had some injuries that he had to deal with over the last few years. But to your point, John, he looks like he's he's healthy and ready to go. Um, so they added him. And they and uh, the addition of Faison is kind of one of those under-the-radar types of things. So Brandon has experience in Gus's system. So he's with him in, uh, in San Diego and L.A. And he was with him in Vegas. So those two players fit the profile of what they want in the perimeter. They like the big, long corners that can run. And then Kenny's been as consistent a player at his position as they're in a league over the last however many years. So they're good in the secondary. They're good on the front line. And then they drafted Cross in the third round, who's big, he's fast, he's tough. So they had essentially replaced Cross, or excuse me, replaced Willis with Cross. You know, the unforeseen retirement of, of Willis there in the offseason but they probably anticipated that there a little bit with the drafting across. So they've gotten younger. They've added some new players to go along with some of the existing players on their team. And schematically, they'll do some things that are specific to Gus's system, but they're certainly going to present some problems uh, for our offense on the defensive side of the ball. Nick, you've been watching all these game planning practices and without sharing all the secrets, what about the Texans offensive identity? Cause here is a game one situation element of surprise and they want to establish that identity however it's going to play out very quickly yeah I mean running the football regardless of who you play in a week-to-week basis so being able to run the ball being able to stop the run that's going to be at a premium here this week so I think this will be a good opportunity for us offensively it's all about execution it's all about getting to manageable down and distance situations being able to execute on third down and hopefully when we get the ball into the red area scoring touchdowns so there's a lot of elements that we're going to see. We saw some of those elements last year. Turnovers are always going to be a factor. 
Um, you go back and look at the the game last year. It's 10-3 at halftime. Then we throw the interception. Then he gets a big play for a touchdown. And before you know, it spirals out of control. And, you know, the game gets out of hand. So just want to make sure that, you know, you control the game as best we can, limit the, let the big plays uh, from their offense and try to create some big plays offensively and try to be good in the running game on both sides of the ball. Nick, I think last week, we touched a little bit on your waiver claim of Tyler Johnson, who came from the Buccaneers. I know we didn't talk about OJ Howard being added. What are your thoughts? We'll get to thoughts about Tyler as well, but OJ and Tyler being added to the passing game, how does that impact the offense? Yeah, both experienced players have had varying levels of production regardless of where they've been. I mean, OJ was a good player there in uh, Tampa Bay for, for a number of years, and he had the injury in 20, 2020, I believe it was. So, and then 21 kind of slowed him a little bit, but. Big, strong, runs well. Um, you know, Tyler's had some production, has good size. It says he's a decent run-after-catch player. So the big thing will be in a short period of time, whether or not we can get those players acclimated to our system, whether or not we can get them ready to play. They're obviously not going to be able to handle the entire offense, but you're into more of a game plan-specific type thing, so certain things that may be more relevant than others. So we'll see if we can get them ready to play, and we'll work through the week to see who's actually going to be available come, uh, come game time. Nick, pre-COVID, and it's hard to imagine that a year ago we were still in testing mode all the time and everything, but pre-COVID, Tuesdays were a big day for players to come around to different teams around the league and try out. How is that working now, and what do you get out of that? Is that to keep the Rolodex fresh with information on potential players if you do need them? Yeah, that's probably the big thing, Mark. So you kind of have a familiarity with most players, and we've gone through the preseason, so there have been a number of players that have been on rosters that have been released. And it's not necessarily, I would say, position-specific or geared towards a specific player. It's more to kind of get a general mosaic of players and get more information and either confirm the information that we have or maybe we find something different, or maybe we find we have a better option. So you're always trying to prepare for the what if. So if we lose someone, what's our next option? So I would say in the interim, the first option is the practice squad. Okay, if we don't have a player at that respective position on the practice squad, what's the alternative? And we'll probably have a decent amount of movement on and off the practice squad. So if you're replacing a player, who are you replacing them with? So I would say the first month or so, four to six weeks, well, the volume is probably higher, I mean, league-wide, I'd say ourselves included. Then once we kind of get through the first uh, three or four weeks, we'll probably have a pretty good idea who's available and we'll be able to plug a hole if, if, if necessary. Nick, as you prepare for a game, you prepare so many different ways, so many situations, first, second down, third down. What are you doing fourth down? How do you handle an end-of-half, end-of-game situations? I was actually reading an article this morning I thought was interesting about University of Houston. They went into overtime the other day against UTSA, and they'd done a study on overtime about taking the ball first or playing defense first. And I thought it was pretty interesting from that standpoint because you don't play a ton of overtime games, but college you have to tack it a certain way. Is overtime something that you look at as a particular situation that you put studies into, analytics into, how you go about overtime? Because it has changed over the years. How do you kind of attack overtime, and how do you look at it and perceive it? Yeah, no, there's strategy involved in essentially all phases. So once you kind of get past early downs, essentially each game is situational football. So it's about third down, it's about red area, it's about end of half, it's about four minutes, it's about short yardage and goal line. If you do happen to get into overtime, what's your philosophy? Who's the opponent? Who are you playing? So we allocate a lot of time and resources into understanding kind of what's going on, what are the other teams doing, what are the, some of the things that we might want to implement. We'll talk about them as a staff and just make sure we're prepared. So if we are in that situation, we kind of have an idea of how we want to handle it. So you're not going to tell us what your preference is for the <laughs> format. It's okay. Uh, let me ask you this, though, because t obviously we had three preseason games. 
The starters didn't play the entirety of any game, but a lot more in the third game. And I'm watching college football this weekend, Nick, and there's some definite situations that come up that it seems like they weren't completely ready for. You're having some week one rust, if you will. Is there week one rust in the NFL, despite the fact that you have preseason games? When you look at the data year to year? Yeah, really. I mean, it's a new opportunity for all of us. So none of us have played a game. None of us have coached in a game. None of us have played a full game. So adjusting mm. to the game. And week one, there's always going to be things that pop up that maybe you didn't anticipate and prepare for. The ability to adjust and react during the course of the game is the most important thing. You'll have an idea how the game is going to declare in the first quarter on both sides of the ball. The kicking game will be the kicking game. So once you have a feel for how the game is being played – then you can kind of play out the rest of the game. But really, each play, you're going from first down to second down, second down to third down, third down to fourth down. There's a new situation that comes up. Essentially, on every play, you don't know when it's going to come up. You don't know what situation is going to come up. End of half, you're trying to run the clock out, or you're trying to kick a field goal. So you sort of have to prepare and then be able to react and adapt to what goes on during the course of the game. Nick, I know you watch college games with a different eye because you look at it from an evaluation point. But this weekend, and I think it happens every single weekend in college football because it's the day before pro games I'm asking this question. Have there been times when you see something in a college game and go, whoa, we maybe need like a five-minute primer with our guys right before the game to say, hey, this happened in this game. We need Not that we need to be aware of it, but just be conscious of the fact that this might happen. There's so many of them that happened. The North Carolina App- Appalachian State game where the kid ran back down side kick and gave Appalachian State a chance. You ever have those opportunities to kind of sit down and say, hey, wait a second, this happened. We need to be alert for this. No, it's a it's a relevant point. It probably happens more once we kind of get through the weekend. Right, so you right. go back and look at some of the games and we'll look at some situational plays, look at some of the big plays, look at some of the things that came up. Maybe there's an application to what we're doing or maybe right. an application to the NFL. But just when you go back and look at this past weekend of college football, the, the biggest difference in the games was a kicking game. Yeah. So, I mean, so everybody talks about the importance of special teams and it manifests itself in college football. So we put a big emphasis on the kicking game here. I would say the, the Colts are probably as good as special teams unit we're going to face in the league. I think when you look at uh, Gosselin's rankings last year, Rick is very well respected. I think the Colts were second. So they do a good job in the kicking game. I mean, Bubba was a good player in a kicking game. Um, that was his career, and he's done a good job putting together. They have some really good core players in EJ Speed. They traded for Grant Stewart. They allocate a lot of time and resources to that particular phase. So the kicking game is going to win or lose games. At some point, you just don't want to lose it You know, in a situation where you could have prevented something negative from happening. What about being in the building on Sunday, Nick, with the fans coming in, regular season situation, Liberty White kickoff, all of that? I know that you're really focused on what is happening between the lines, but it's going to be a quite an atmosphere. Yeah, no, there's a lot of excitement and anticipation for this game. It's Liberty White, so I mean that brings its own kind of unique sort of circumstances. But I know Lovey's talked about this from day one, so the fans are important. We're going to need the fans. We're playing at home. It's a good opportunity for us. Hopefully, get off to a good start. And our goal is to try to put a good product out there that everybody can be proud of and cheer for. So, it'll be fun. I think everybody is, you know, is excited about Sunday and being able to get on the field and actually play some football. All right, everybody goes to a particular musical choice before <laughs> kickoff. 
not me. You, <laughs> do you have one, or are you just total complete yeah. silence? On your drive to the stadium, is it is it a talk show? Is it, <laughs> is it music? complete silence? What is it? No, my drive to the stadium. Actually, my wife and I kind of have our own little Sunday routine. Uh-huh. So she actually, we drive to the stadium together. She drops me off. So yep. after the game, we can go home together. So honestly, we're just kind of having like a, a nice conversation about okay. nothing related to football. Mm. So it's not like trying I, to keep it as normal as possible. I mean, if you like, had dropped I, like Dan Campbell metallic guy, listen, yeah. that would have been a little I got to hear Motley Crue right now. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't want to hear Motley Crue right now? Well, hopefully you, because you're listening to me and to Mark and 20 questions. That's next on Texans All Access. 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 Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. And Mark stays with me for our first edition of 20 questions. Okay. You ready? This I'm is ready. me just firing All right. questions. Now, you can go as fast as you'd like. You can explain things. You don't mm-hmm. have to. How long do we need the segment to be, Johnny? Yeah, well, I mean, you'll, <laughs> see, the whole key with 20 questions is the fact that you never actually get through 20 oh, questions. Oh, I see. I That's see. kind of the fun. But you just okay. call it 20 questions. We'll see if you really have 20. I can okay. answer them. Go on. Shaquille Leonard will play on Sunday against the Texans. Yes or no? Oh, I don't want him to. How about that? You know how I feel about this. He should rest, relax, take the year off, make sure that he's healthy enough. I was doing this with Andrew Luck for a few years, and then finally my wish came true at the beginning of 2019 when he retired completely. So, Darius, I mean, Shaquille, it's up to you to retire immediately for your own safety. I like him not playing on Sunday, Johnny. Jonathan Taylor, and the first time he will see the Texans since running for uh, over 100 last year at NRG Stadium. Yeah. Jonathan Taylor will be held under 100 yards, and Ooh. if so, how do the Texans do it? I think they could slow him down. You know, he could still have a hundy. You could still win. Sure. I think the key number for him is about 110, 115, okay? Because he could have a 40-yard run, and then the rest of the time you're kind of keeping him bottled up or something like that. Uh, I'm going to say I'm going to say he doesn't do it. He doesn't get to the century mark. They hold him to 87.5 yards. Shaquille Leonard, DeForest Buckner, Grover Stewart, Stephon Gilmore, Julian Blackman, Bobby Okereke, which Colt worries you the most? Maybe it's one I didn't say. Which Colt, Colt defender worries you the most on Sunday? Uh, as far as the defenders go, I would say uh, Yannick Ngakwe uh, worries me the most. Mm-hmm. The strip sack turnover potential that he brings to the table, that sort of thing worries me. I think that if you look at the game in retrospect, if you lose, you'll say, oh, Buckner bottled things up in the middle. They couldn't run or something like that. Something a little more subtle, if you mm-hmm. will. Uh, but the big splash turnover, game-changing play by Ngakwe worries me. We all have 2017 PTSD, don't we? Yeah, we do. I mean, for many reasons, but yeah. from a football standpoint, mm-hmm. that opening game of the year of Yannick Ngakwe just beating the you-know-what out of Tom Savage in the first half has just always stuck with me. Yeah, uh, and also the one there, the game you played at Jacksonville that yeah. year, which was just oh my a God. celebration I- of Jaguar history before Ugh. the Texans came into the league when they were really good. It was like the game they played with the Miami Dolphins in the playoffs. Okay, it wasn't that lopsided, but it felt like it. What was that game? 62-7 to seven or something like yeah, that? Yeah. To cap off the 99 season in Dan Marino's career. It felt that bad. It was 
the Jaguars getting out all their frustrations over the years of all the losses to the Texans. That's what that 2017 game was down there. Ngakwe, now a Colt. Thanks a lot. Ngakwe, Gilmore, I hate these acquisitions from a Texan standpoint in Indy. Very frustrating. Pro Football Talk put out their power rankings in week one. And Mike Florio has the Texans at... Number 32, what do you think about that placement? I think, you know, I think Seth said it best this morning. They were going over a lot of the different power ranking uh, situations uh, presented by league media, national media. They don't think a lot about the bottom five, six, seven, eight teams. They don't really put a lot of thought into that. They put a lot of thought into the top 10 because a team that gets knocked out of the top 10 in somebody's power rankings, their fan base is going to be a lot louder than Hey, we're we're not thirty one. We right, should be right. twenty nine. That kind of thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, to be ranked last though is just pure ignorance. You didn't finish last last year. You were you are better now. I mean, this is not debatable. You are better now than you were when you left the building last year, yeah, right? After losing to so. the Titans. Now, I guess a lot of teams can say that, but come on. The Bears are trying to pick up anybody they possibly can because they feel so badly about their right. roster. The Jaguars should be better, but are they better than the Texans who beat them twice last year? Right. You cannot say that. They have to prove it on the field, so I don't like that 32 ranking at all. I love these power rankings. I love them. They mean absolutely squat, but I love them. Florio has got the Titans at 8, the Colts at 11, the Jaguars at 29, obviously the Texans at 32. Do you agree with, A, the first two? No. How do you think it should go? I would probably rank the Colts higher. I know the Titans have been there, and they're the two-time defending AFC South champions, but I don't think they got a ton better. I think the Colts did. The Colts with Matt Ryan and the defensive acquisitions we talked about, on paper, you should at least give it to them. Now, maybe it doesn't work out with Ryan at all. Maybe that's his hunch right there. But the Titans themselves drafted a quarterback to show you you know what? They're a little shaky. They're a little iffy on the quarterback situation. And it's a situation that produced a belly-up performance in the postseason for them. So I think that you should rank the Colts ahead of the Titans. I would pick the Colts ahead of the Titans in the division if I had to. I I, I tend to agree with you. Uh, these are the power rankings from, I don't I think this is maybe, I can't tell what this is, maybe DraftKings. Mm-hmm. I kind of like them. They got the Texans at 29. They got the Jaguars at 28. Of this top 10 that I'm about to read to you, which right. team doesn't belong? Okay. Number one, Bills, two Bucks, three Rams, four Chargers, four pa- five Packers, six Chiefs, seven Broncos, eight Bengals, nine 49ers, and 10 the Browns. Which team doesn't belong in that top the 10? The Browns? Yeah, Browns. The Browns. Mm-hmm. Browns so, at 10. Deshaun Watson's going to play opening day? Is uh, that what they have? I, I guess. The Browns? I mean, this no. was this he was August fourth. Yeah, he says this in disbelief. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't pick the Browns that high because they have to play the bulk of the season without Watson. Even with Watson, I get it. They've got a good roster, et cetera. You have to take that into account. With a better quarterback, they're going to be a lot better than they were last year. But Jacoby Brissett has trouble hanging on to employment as a starting quarterback, even a backup quarterback at yep. this point in his career. So I don't swim in confidence if I'm a Cleveland fan right now. Uh, the other thing is this. What were the Chargers in that one? Fourth? Yeah. That's given them a lot That's of love. Rich. I love I'm one of the the leaders of the Chargers are really good campaign, but they gotta do it on the field. 
They have to be able to prove it, and there are a lot of teams that, I mean, everybody has to do that. But the Chargers, especially after missing out on the postseason, losing to a Raiders team that lost its coach on the final day with a chance to get to the postseason, they couldn't close the deal. That doesn't mean they're going to be bad this year, but I don't think you should rank them in the top five. Pete Prisco has his power rankings for CBS Sports, and we, I love we, are, both, we are both Prisco uh, fans. I love Pete unless I don't agree with him that I don't <laughs> like Pete. So tell me, do I like him or not right now? He has the Texans at number 26, one spot Ooh. above the Detroit Lions. What about the Jaguars? One spot below. Glad you asked the Jacksonville Jaguars. Okay. Your comments about Pete Prisco's power You rankings. know, just as John McClain got Warren Moon into the Hall of Fame and will get Andre Johnson into the Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. and he got a lot of people into the Hall of Fame, Robert Brazil. Uh, Pete Prisco feels like he got Tony Baselli into the Hall of Fame, and I don't know if he did or not, but uh, you know, Pete was always yeah. trumpeting the cause of Baselli getting into the Hall, so good for him. Uh, look, I think 26 is nice. I saw, whose power rankings did I see where the Texans had five games against teams that were below them? They had two against yeah. the Jags, they had one against the Giants, one against the Bears. I think that you have to rank the Giants pretty low based on the fact that they really don't believe in their quarterback. The Bears for reasons I just stated previously. Mm-hmm. And the Jaguars should be below the Texans based on the fact that they lost twice to them last year, and they both are better, but how much better? Okay, he's got the Bengals at five mm-hmm. and the Patriots at number 22. That's a little low for Which the one is more likely to be wrong, Bengals at five or Patriots at 22? Ooh, Remember, I- Matt Patricia is your offensive coordinator in New England. I think that uh, I think the Bengals at five is probably more likely to be wrong. Okay, I yeah. think the Bengals, based on the fact that they won ten games, they got mm-hmm. hot in the postseason. They should be better this year, but five is high. Twenty-two is low for the Patriots, Johnny. But I could see things going very wrong for New England in a division that's tougher. All right, the Jets might not be tougher, but the Bills want to smash the Patriots every chance they get. Obviously, and. When you, they're not going to have another wind-swept, run-only game in Western New York. New England won't. The Bills will sweep in this year. And the Dolphins could be a lot better. I think it's going to be tough for New England. Okay, I'm going to give you five teams. Yeah. Five teams. The Bills mm-hmm. and the AFC West or the field to win the Super Bowl. So you got the Bills, the Chiefs, the Chargers, the Broncos, and the Raiders – or are you taking the field? Now, most power rankings, as I'm looking at Sam Monson's, has the Bills at one, the Chargers at five, the Chiefs at four, the Broncos oh, yeah. at seven. No, I mean, so four of those five in the top seven. No. So you're taking the Bills and the AFC West or the field. It's not even hard. You take that first selection. What? The Bills, the and, Bills the and the AFC, AFC West. West. Okay. If you want to make it really hard, you say the Bills and the AFC North. Right? Yeah. Because the Bengals made it to the Super Bowl. The Ravens are going to be better if Jackson stays healthy. Uh, I don't expect much out of Cleveland. I really don't because of Brissett and all that. Yeah. Steelers, not the Super Bowl, but they're going to be a tough out. I would say that would make it harder because to me, the Bills are going to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I think so too. But you also only have AFC West in that scenario, the AFC. You don't have an NFC. And look, in oh, 60 minutes, t- anything can happen. Oh, but this is to win the Super this Bowl? This is to I win the to, Super oh, Bowl. I thought it was to go. Okay. To win the Man. Super Bowl. Bills AF- in the AFC West versus it. the I'll field. I'll still take it. Because I got the Chiefs. And, and you got if, the Bills. If the Chargers do get hot, and Denver could be really good, but yeah. I don't think they'll be that good. Yeah. I, right. I, I, the I Raiders, was, no. I could change it up and say the Bears <laughs> and the AFC North or the field. What? 
To so what? To have the number to one win pick the of the Super draft? Bowl. No, to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> the Bears? You get Ravens, Bengals, Browns, no, Steelers, no. and the Bears. No, I'm not taking that. You're taking the field? Field. Field uh, all day, please. Oh, By a lot. Okay. Joe Flacco is starting the first three games for the New York Jets because of Zach Wilson's knee issue. What do we think of that, by the way? I'm asking you, what do you think of that? Joe Flacco starting the first three games for the Jets. What's their record at the end of three games? You want me to see who they play? Yeah, yeah. You got to give me the schedule. So wait, you said three games with Flacco. What happened to Mike White? I thought he was pretty good. They start on September 11th at home against the Ravens. Mm -hmm. Then they go to Cleveland to take on the Brissette Browns. Uh, And then they go back home to take on the Bengals. One and two. They beat Cleveland. They're not going to beat the Ravens. Which is interesting because they'll lose both at home but win on the road against the Browns. Yeah. One and two. One and two with Flacco. The Zach I mean, Wilson, and, if Zach Wilson were healthy, no, wouldn't make a you difference. still go with one and two. Yes. With Joe Flacco as your quarterback. Who will lead the league in rushing? Derrick Henry or Jonathan Taylor? Or the field? Or the field. I'll, I'll ta- give you. I get Henry and Taylor. You get the field. Are you taking that bet? I'll take the field. Really? I'll take a shot. Sure. Okay. Dalvin Cook stays healthy the entire season. You know, somebody else comes out of the... Uh, Elijah Mitchell. You know, one of these guys. Okay. All right. Damian Pierce. Ooh. Yes, I said it. Wouldn't that be so Ooh. awesome? It makes me think this is a better way to phrase that. The leading rusher in the NFL will come from the AFC South. So you get the AFC South running backs. Or the field. Or the field. Now, that would be an even better I'll one. still take the field, uh, the but I want to see Pierce do some serious yeah. damage here. The leading passer in the NFL, yards only. Mm. You get the AFC West, right, or the field. So you get Mahomes, yeah. Herbert, yeah. Carr, yeah. or Russell Wilson. The leading passer by yards in the NFL will come from the AFC West, or you take in the field. I'll take the AFC West. No question. Herbert, Mahomes, Carr. Wilson. I mean, maybe even Carr yeah. flirts with that. I, I think Carr's going to be flirting with it. I think the number. I think Carr's going to have the numbers there. I think very easily Justin Herbert could, but I think the Chargers are going to be ahead in more games. I think this year, so they'll probably run Austin Eckler Gosh, a little bit more. You, you have that Charger love going on. I do. I do. San Diego. Sing it. Yes. Super Chargers. I agree with you. I would go to Vegas and put money on the AFC West to lead the league in passing. Oh, you yeah. know the you know my wild card, which I don't know. It's too much of a wild card. Tom Brady, Dak Prescott. <laughs> Dak Prescott. Ooh. I think Prescott can put up some numbers. They have to throw it. They have to. They're yeah, not going to run it I don't as think well. their running game is, is what it was. Now, can he get it off with a rookie at left tackle? And I know Jason Peters went out there, but how long is that going to take? So It's yeah. not going to be Green Bay because they want to run the ball. Yeah, they do. And Tampa, well, Brady did it last year, right? He could do it again. I can see that. He could do it again. I think Tampa's defense being a little bit better. But I don't know that Tampa's going to – Tampa, to me, is going to be a struggle bust just from the offensive line standpoint. I'll give you a wild card league leader in passing. Say it. Jameis. Do you know that he got off to such a hot start in his career? I saw this graphic the other day. You know, you see so much stuff, you forget what it is, and mm-hmm. I should have remembered it. But he got off to one of the hottest starts in history in terms of total yardage yeah. past four. Yeah. Now, the turnovers might have been there and some other things that you don't like. Not enough wins, mm-hmm. but he threw for a – bucket load of yards it was him marino and somebody else in the first three four years of their career with the most yards mm. you did 20 questions very well we're gonna do that from now on Mark uh, like nice it. job you're off the hot seat but john grenard is in the hot seat next with our deep slant interview of the week right here on texans all access yes yes
But it's so good to be back on Wednesday night, all access for not one but two hours right here at Sports Radio 610. You can pick us up on the Houston Texans app. It's so glad to be with you. I am your host, John Harris, and my good friend, D.P. Sidhu, is one of the best interviewers you are going to find. We call her interviews the Deep Slant Interview of the Week. And I said this to Mark at some point because D.P. caught up with John Grenard earlier today, and there's one thing I know about both of them. They can go. They can go for a while. So I got a little worried about time because DP talking to John, this is going to be a great conversation. I just thought it was going to go for maybe 30 minutes. Well, luckily, it didn't go that long. But a lot of meat right here on the bone with our deep slant interview of the week with edge rusher, defensive lineman, John Grenard, DP, take it away. It's the Deep Slant 101 presented by Xfinity. Our guest for week one, Jonathan Grenard. John, I mean, I feel like you're a vet. It's only year three for you. Do (laughs) you feel like a vet? You're like a leader of this defense, but more so you're one of the guys that's been a fixture through a lot of changes. Right, right. And it feels that way, kind of. I mean, being here going on year three, um, obviously different coaches, obviously every year so far. But um, I think this year feels a little different. I mean, uh, the energy feels good. I think guys are understanding what the standard is. We're understanding what Lovey wants, what the organization is about. And I'm just trying to establish a new one. And obviously, you know, in the, in the past, it wasn't we didn't live up to that. But I think now this year, we're just all in that same mission and we all want to court. Yeah, you've gone through a, several coaching changes, but at least with Lovey being the new head coach, right. you had him as your defensive coordinator mm-hmm. last year. Does it feel like there's something that you can really build on just knowing his scheme and knowing what he's looking for when you're out? Right. Coach? I think now it's just, I think, it's taking that his defensive mindset and, you know, making everybody on the team, including the offense and special teams, understand what he wants too. So I think it just – we use that now on the defensive side to, uh, you know, spread that to the offense and help them out understand, you know, what that um, what the mission is and what the standard is. And I think they already know it's self-explanatory. I mean, we all – we're trying to win here. We all understand what we're chasing. Um, but it definitely does help to have a, a guy like, like Lovey coming back, your defensive coordinator, and now he's the head coach. And obviously leading it the right way. And, uh, and it's not hard to follow it. Like I mentioned before, it's just easy to follow because we all understand what we're trying to do. What was your offseason like? I know it's yeah. probably not the way you wanted yeah. to spend it. You For were sure. out there during OTAs. You weren't doing much. We saw you start to right. take snaps, obviously, in the preseason and then training camp. But right. tell us about your offseason, just getting healthy and what yeah. that was like for you. Yeah, I had a little cleanup uh, surgery, a little bit. Uh, something that was a little bothering me in my foot. But it, it, it helped out. And I, that, I used that time to pretty much just work on the other aspects of my body that I felt like that were weaker, you know, or that I needed tending to. Um, and I feel good. I mean, it, like you, as you mentioned, uh, it was tough watching the guys during OTAs. Obviously, just continues to take reps, being out there, you know, with the guys sweating and grinding. But we we understand the business. We understand what the mission is and understand the mental reps is was huge for me. I just went back over my old film, watching the guys that are in there now, just trying to add to my game and um and just correct the stuff that I did to make me be a better and more efficient player. Yeah, I was going to ask you, yeah. what did you learn about yourself through all those mental reps and not being on the field? Yeah, uh, that I, I think too much at the times. So, and I'm a bit huge overthinker. Hmm. Um, and I think that's my issue just in general in life, period, not just with ball. And I think whenever you can do that for anybody to just dumb it down to where they can just play fast and, and, and do one thing, or the mission is, um, and what they're asking you to do on that defense, offense or defense, it makes the game go faster and you're more comfortable, and that way you can just play faster. And I think overall that was the mission I was trying to get to. Each year I'm trying to learn something that, that I can build off of for, from last year. What about pass rushing? I mean, yeah. you're just known as obviously a great pass rusher on <laughs> this right. defense. I know that you have had your conversations with Laramie Tunsil and mm-hmm. Titus Howard, especially in camp. Right. So how do you improve your pass rushing heading into year three, and how did those guys really help you? Yeah, I mean, like I said, even today, I mean, we're going to do it every day. We, we're going to go against each other. You know, we don't go in against each other in the game. Um, I just think to take these to pick each other's brains um, from pass rush stuff, just a little small things because we all as all pass rushers we all think the same kind of we understand as 
is in a million ways to get to the quarterback, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's kind of a foundational way that everybody gets to the quarterback, whether it's a certain move that is that is adjustable for one guy or fits him. But, yeah, we do that all the time, and I just think overall it, it helps us. Iron sharpens iron, and these are guys that obviously at the top of their game with Laramie and, and, and Titus as well. And I think if we continue to do that amongst ourselves with the guys who got in our room across the defensive line, I just think that um, it'll be great for us and, uh, and to build that camaraderie as well just so that way we know going into the game and we can always just uh, help each other out for whatever we need. Do you try different moves on them in practice? Yeah, you got try, to. Try them out and see, like, <laughs> hey, how's this going to yeah, work? Yeah, you, you, you kind of got you kind of. they call to. you out when it's something new they haven't seen before? Uh, Kind of, yeah, because it's more so, like, at the end of the day, we don't want to lose. I mean, uh, some some guys, some days you want to get an extra rep just to kind of see whether you didn't like how he beat you on that rep, you're trying to get another win, or you're trying to work something that you didn't before um, that you might have seen. So I think that that's the good thing about it. You know, uh, we never get into it, that, that type of stuff, just because – we understand what we're trying to do. You get when guy get hit in the mouth or stuff like that. We understand right. this ball. We understand that's that's a good thing about having a good relationship outside of the locker room or just inside on the football field and understanding the mission. We can try a lot of things and at the same time we just gotta be be real with each other when it comes to it. If it is if it's not a move, it ain't working, you can be like, nah, it ain't <laughs> like work. take that out yeah, of your no, repertoire. Like, literally, it's like, nah, I'm gonna do this every time. And it's like, okay, so you know you just gotta keep building and vice versa. So I, I think it's beneficial for everybody. Well, one of the old linemen gave you credit for something. Mm. AJ Can said you were the best trash talker <laughs> on the team. He was asked who the best best trash talker was. He said that um <laughs> He, he said that you're the loudest one, okay. at least in camp you were. I and he said uh, it was all good stuff, very yeah, chippy. For sure. And I find that kind of hard to believe because you're like this whenever we see you, very yeah. smiley and happy. But what do you like on the field with those guys? I try to uh, turn it I try to turn it up a little bit just because, I mean, if, if I feel the team needs to that time where the practice is a little sluggish or some, sometimes a little bit, I'll just throw it in there. Just talk a little trash, get us going. <laughs> um, I, I, I like to keep it friendly. Sometimes it's not as friendly as others. But uh, overall, we just we, we love the game. I love the game of football. I just love to, to compete. And I think if we're out there, why not compete? I mean, it's it's already hot as ever out there anyway. So if we're out here, we might as well compete and try to both get, not just get through it, but actually win through it, you know, and push through it. So, yeah, I like to do that. I mean, I've been kind of doing it on, uh, since I was a youngin. But and as you say, I kind of look like this on the outside. Uh, <laughs> I try to keep this. I try to keep this. So that's a good thing. I'm glad you I get keep it that. all out on yeah, the field. Yeah, I'm glad when people see me off the field. They're like, hey, okay, you cool, <laughs> this guy. And you see, I don't have my glasses on today, so uh, they, they think I'm a little non-sophisticated right now. But uh, other than that, yeah, I try to I try to keep it a little keep that on the field. What about during part. games during game time? I mean, yeah. what is that? I'm I'm fascinated with trash talking on yeah. the field in games. I mean, what is what is the art to good trash talking? Is yeah. it funny? Is it mean? Is it annoying? It just depends. When do you start? When do you stop? Right. I, I think it just depends. Um, it depends on the guy, first of all. It depends on how to – well, first of all, not the guy. It depends on how to, the game is going. If you're winning – We were discussing this. Right. Time. Okay, Right. So if, if, you're, if you're winning the game, then that's, that's, that's grounds to talk. Um, but you make a couple plays, you, you kind of have to pace it. You, do you want to talk because you all, it better be a, a play that you know gets you off the field? Because if you're talking trash, you're then you gotta, still on the field. You're still yeah. on the field. You got to go five, six more <laughs> plays. Then then it's, you're gonna be real tired. So I just think you got to play with it a little bit. But overall. I just try to go with it. I mean, I just play with the feel. I mean, it gets me tired sometimes talking trash, so I got to pick and choose my battles. But uh, for the Love most, thinking, yeah, yeah, for the most part, um, I'm, I'm gonna try to get under skin if I make a couple plays, just so that I can just get myself going too. Because I mean, it's fun. I mean, I don't, I don't mean no no ill intent at all. You're never gonna hear me go below the belt about some stuff. I'm just trying to talk trash to get us both through the game for sure. What about division opponents? Because you're gonna see these guys twice a year. Is it like a series to be continued? You're going against these guys quite a bit, right? You would think you would think so, but I haven't. It's surprising I haven't talked this much trash. But I just think overall we just got to get to that point where we can do that. I think it, it, when we get to that point, we all can confidently walk around with mm. our chest out to the point where we know we know our, our identity. We know we're actually putting it on tape. We're getting the results we want. Then I think that's 
you know, not only is the, the film going to show, I mean, you can then you can be able to kind of talk a little bit at the time, too, because you know that you're, you're confident in what you're doing and you know that it's no matter what they're going to do, you're going to win. So um, when we get to that point, I think that's where you're going to see a huge turn. And I'm definitely going to continue to do my best every day. Whether we like that or not, I'm still going to be talking trash to keep us going because at the end of the day, uh, we're still growing and we still play defense. So we got to stop the boys every time they try to score. All right. Well, speaking of division opponents, you open up the season against the Colts. The and Colts. Matt Ryan, you grew up in Georgia. Right, you said right. you grew up watching him. Right. I mean, what's that like? I know Lovey Smith has talked about it. Just facing those guys again, the way they dominated right. last year. It's kind of good sure. to start off the season against them. But what are your thoughts on the Colts and, <clears throat> and with Matt Ryan, a guy that's really been a veteran and right. kind of makes that team look a little bit different? He does. I mean, he's a great quarterback. I mean, like I said, I grew up a Georgia kid um, and watching him coming up. Obviously, when he got drafted there, he kind of turned the Falcons around. I mean, we were blackout when we were in Atlanta. Um, when I, around that time. So um, for him to change that around and give the city a little hope at that time, he was huge for the city. So I just admire a guy like that, um, his true character. But but on the football side, he's a great quarterback. I mean, everybody's, everybody know him. He's well-respected, makes the reads real good. He fits that offense kind of like, you know, Carson Wentz and the Phillip Rivers the year before. You know, these guys with Frank Reich, and he's, he's a quarterback's coach. It fits these guys. So I think overall, we got to make just make him feel uncomfortable. A lot of teams that had success against him in the past has just made him feel uncomfortable with his pass rush, um, games, or anything, just get him off of his, off his spot, make him uh, get out of rhythm. You're gonna you got to do that against a, a vet like that because he's seen it all, he knows it all, he's done it all. So I just think overall we stop them, and then you get to 28. That, that the running back they got uh, Taylor. I mean, he's a great back as well. We stop that aspect, and I think overall they're gonna continue to just come to us at the times we're trying to just get them to those uh, long situations and passing down. So I think we will give ourselves a really good shot there. All right, you talk about growing up in Georgia, so I have to ask you about the sure. John Grenard Foundation. You oh, just yeah. started it this off season, right. so. Tell me what the what was the driving force behind starting it and, and who you really hope to help with that. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm a small-town kid. I, I, from, for the ones who are from Georgia, I'm from Hiram, Georgia, but, you know, people ask me where you're from. I say Atlanta because it's, it's just know like a general. Atlanta you know, is, they yeah. know a general. So I'm, like 20, I'm about 30 minutes outside of Atlanta going north, and it's a small town, and it's kind of surrounded by two or three of the biggest counties almost in Georgia, you know, Cobb County, um, in Fulton, obviously, where Atlanta it resides, and obviously Douglas County and those counties around it. So we kind of sit right in that middle, and I just think me – creating that creating a foundation was to level the playing field so that we would all have equal opportunity and that was our one that was our mission statement that's my mission statement to level the playing fields because of you know when you look at McEachern and well, I'm saying McEachern is a school in Cobb County or the Hill Groves you know these bigger schools that are surrounding our county they get all the shine because they're just they just look better they're obviously there and they just put out more so I just think my what I wanted to do there and it's not just hire them. It just it kind of goes for anybody that's overlooked. And I just think that me getting my hands on them and, and the people in within our foundation get our hands on the youth around there and, and, and being a part of that to make sure that we're not overlooking. We can supply the people and the kids uh, with those uh, stuff that makes them put them on that level playing field. I love that, and that's just that's what I'm all about because I just know me. I was a three-star recruit coming out, didn't have many offers like that coming out of school. Um, I had to prove myself a lot, you know. At the same time, I didn't have a lot of the resources to get to where I needed to go at the time, but I was fortunate enough to eventually build those relationships to get that. And I just think I don't want everyone to start that path when when I have the authority to make them all on a level playing field. So that's what we're about, and I think that I'm gonna continue to drive for it. We had our first successful camp. Um, this oh, past nice. offseason, youth camp, and it was amazing. We had a lot, a huge turnout. Even though the rain tried to get us, we still had an amazing turnout. About 70 kids came out. Wow. Um, and we're going to continue to keep trying to go out and, and be bigger and better next year. And we're still building those relationships by teaching financial literacy, um, you know, football stuff or life stuff in general, just life coaches. And I think in totality, we're going to be good for the community. All right, great stuff. Love to see it. Uh, congrats on the foundation. Appreciate it. Best of luck in year three, Jonathan. Thank you so much, DP. Well, those are two of my favorite people in the building, two of my favorite people anywhere right there, D.P. Sidhu and John Grenard. Now, one of my favorite people you heard earlier in the show, Mark Vandermeer. He's going to stop by at the top of the second hour. 
with our men behind the mics, the two men making the call on Sunday for their respective teams. Of course, you know the voice, Mark Vandermeer, but do you know the voice of the Indianapolis Colts? Well, it's our friend Matt Taylor, men behind the mics, to kick off the second hour of Texans All Access. That's next. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. This is one of my favorite weeks of the year because, I mean, who doesn't get absolutely jazzed about having a season opener against a divisional opponent right here in our own beautiful NRG Stadium? I mean, we all do, right? In game week world, though, all access for us kicks from one hour to two hours, and I'm always stoked about that on Wednesday and Friday, and I am your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, right here in the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I've been doing this for nine years And this is the first week of the ninth year. And when we kick off the second hour, if we're lucky, and most times we are because Mark Vandermeer is an absolute beast when it comes to finding, locating, and interviewing the play-by-play man on the other side. Could be a woman. I don't know there's any play-by-play women in the league uh, for each team, I don't think, via radio. But Matt Taylor has been the play-by-play voice of the Colts for about the last four years, I believe. I think he took over in 2018 was when he took over. He's been one of our great friends. He was a sideline reporter, so he was essentially me. And then he turned into Mark, and that's magic. And when the two of them get together, we call it Men Behind the Mics. Mark, take it away with Matt Taylor of the Indianapolis Colts. Joining us right now on Texans Radio, Matt Taylor, the voice of the Indianapolis Colts. And here we go, buddy. Ready for 2022. Texans opening against Indy. And there's really nothing like it. I mean, this team has been such a thorn in the side. How about a sword in the side of the Houston Texans, Matt? How's it going? And you must have uh, a great deal of excitement for this upcoming season. Oh, for for sure. I mean, everybody does. I mean, it's it's football season. It's gone for so long. And then and you just wait and, and have it uh, inch closer and closer. And, yeah, the, the Colts are – they're excited. I mean, the fan base is excited for this upcoming season. Certainly there's a lot of anticipation. You're trying to get that horrible taste out of your mouth uh, from what happened last year to end the season, right? The Colts had a 98% chance of making the playoffs going into the last two games of the season, and then they just – they stubbed their toe and – uh, I mean, whatever, whatever bad metaphor you want to use, <laughs> that's what happened to the Colts because they lose to uh, Vegas at home and then Jacksonville on the road, just inexplicable loss. And then, you know, more quarterback changeover, a lot of changes in the offseason. So it's a good roster. It's a good team. And I think the fan base is chomping at the bit to erase what happened last year out of their memory and, and finally get off to a good start. That's something that this franchise and this uh, this team under Frank Reich just hasn't been able to do. And they've got to be able to do that this season, considering they play week one against Houston. But more than that, they play their first two games against the AFC South and five of their first seven are against the division. So if they get off to a bad start this year, there, there may not be a lot of uh, room for you know wiggle room there down the stretch to climb back into it like they did a year ago. Matt, I don't want to dwell on last year, but some aspects I do want to bring up, and Jonathan Taylor would be one of them, his performance, especially against the Texans. But for a while there in the middle of the season, the Colts were going so well with Carson Wentz. You really got on a great roll with him, and then I know it went bad at the end. Now you have Matt Ryan. Can the Colts be as good as they were when they were playing at their best with Carson Wentz with Matt Ryan at the controls? 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, if you go back and look at when the Colts were rolling last year in the middle of the season towards the end, uh, you know, Carson Wentz was really efficient and he didn't have to do a whole lot in terms of, you know, carrying the workload, because as you said, they did have Jonathan Taylor. He emerged as, you know, an MVP dark horse. I, I think he's the best running back in the NFL because he's the perfect blend of, of power and speed. He can block, he can catch. I mean, the guy can do it all. Um, so he was rolling. He really started to emerge. I think the problem towards the end of last year is that they just got a little bit too reliant on Jonathan Taylor. And, you know, teams knew they had to take him away first and foremost. And down the stretch, the Colts just couldn't capitalize. I mean, in theory, I mean, if you're a, a novice football fan, you know that, you know, that the better you are at running the football, the easier it should be to throw it and capitalize on play action and win on the outside and keep teams guessing. It just didn't happen for the Colts. I think there's a combination of a lot of things that contributed to that. But, you know, quarterback's a big part of it. You know, receiver talent was a part of it. Um, you know, the Colts only threw for over 200 yards twice in the last eight games of the season last mm. year. So it just, for whatever reason, did not work out um, with, with Carson Wentz, both on the field, off the field. Just it didn't mesh for whatever reason. And so here we go again. It's another quarterback. It's five straight years with a different quarterback at the helm. You know, the Colts are still looking for stability after the retirement of Andrew Luck. And they think that with Matt Ryan here now, it buys them time to still compete and still be in a position to accomplish all of their goals while they still have time to look for that franchise quarterback of the future, not overextend themselves uh, you know, and find the right guy whenever that time comes, whether you trade up in the draft or and you pull off a you know big offseason trade like the Broncos did to get Russell Wilson. So I, I think they can win and, and, and you know, execute at a high level with Matt Ryan. And I've said this all along. If, if you get a typical Matt Ryan type of a season, and by that I mean if you look at his history 14 years with the Atlanta Falcons, if, you, if he puts up 4,000 yards passing and – uh, you know, he's somewhere between 23 and 30 passing touchdowns and he's completing 66, 67 percent of his passes. Again, that's a very, you know, stereotypical, very uh, good Matt Ryan type of season. If he gives you that, there's no reason why the Colts can't flirt with, you know, double digit wins and possibly winning the division for the first time since 2014. Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts, joining us on Texans Radio. Matt, give me a thing or two in the preseason that made you say, all right, everything's on schedule, we're good to go. And maybe a thing or two that you say, well, they still need work in this area. Let's see if it works out. Let's see how they put it together leading into week one. Well, I think the first one is Matt Ryan. I mean, I think he is as advertised. You know, what what you saw when he played at a very high level in uh, Atlanta, that's what you're getting so far through a month of training camp with the Colts. He's in command of the offense. Guys respect him. Uh, he has this sort of, um, you know, quiet arrogance about him where he's very respected in the locker room, but at the same time, guys know that they've got to be on their P's and Q's with a veteran like him. He commands respect. He, he has to get the best out of everybody on the field when they're out there. And so from that standpoint, I mean, he's – incredibly accurate uh the ball placement the decision making you know there's going to be a lot of guys that get involved in this offense um that that's that's a frank reich staple that's a matt ryan staple dating back to his falcons days so that that's that makes you feel good maybe even bigger than that though mark is that this team is healthy and if you're a colts fan and if you pay attention to the colts in houston 
you know that hasn't been the case the last couple of years, especially last year going into the regular season. Training camp was basically a wash because there wasn't a lot of time on task for that team last year because Carson Wentz went out the second day of practice. Quentin Nelson went out the second day of practice. Mm. T.Y. Hilton was – he missed a lot of training camp. Ryan Kelly was banged up. Braden Smith, their right tackle, was banged up. I mean, they had a lot of key players and, and star players that just didn't practice a lot and play a lot before the regular season, and I think that contributed to their slow start. They were 0-3 and, and then 1-4, and, and that's really been – you know, the, the theme of the Colts is just wait for injuries to happen because they've happened the last couple of years. So they're incredibly healthy right now going into the season, knock on wood as far as that is concerned. So that's been a nice welcome change. There's no drama as far as the injuries are concerned. And then I think some of the things on on uh, that, that give you a little bit of trepidation is, you know, the offensive line is really, really good in terms of their starting five, but the depth is young and inexperienced. You know, they, they signed Dennis Kelly in the offseason, but he hasn't practiced the entire time in training camp. He's kind of like the one big injury uh, that, that the Colts just haven't been able to get him on the field. Um, so he's sort of their swing tackle, that veteran guy that, you know, played a lot of those years with Tennessee. Last year he was with Green Bay. Um, so you have him. And then you've got Bernard Ryman. He's the backup left tackle. They picked him up in the third round. He's a he's a he's a guy that I think could be the long term answer at that left tackle position, but right now he's never played a game in the NFL. And, and most of their depth along the offensive line is either a first year guy or a second year guy, and not a lot of experience. So hopefully that unit can stay healthy and intact, because there's just a lot of unknowns with the depth along that offensive line um, on offense. Defensively, you feel really good again about the starters. You know they've upgraded with. Um, you know, premier talent, like we talked about before we started with Unique Ngakwe in here now, Stephon Gilmore at the cornerback position. So they've upgraded on that side of the ball. But again, depth is a little bit of a concern at defensive tackle, maybe a little bit in the secondary. So I would say that the biggest strengths of this team are the 22 players starting on offense and defense. After that, you have to factor in what are the Colts going to look like on special teams? And if they do start to get banged up with injuries, can that that backup talent come in and still play at a high level? Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts, joining us. I agree with you. The Colts can be very good if certain things work out. What about the Titans here? How are we feeling about them from an indie perspective? I saw a little Malik Willis work in the preseason. I thought, uh-oh, that could be a problem. And I know they just got the injury to Harold Landry. They've got some other issues. But what do you think of the Titans, the two-time defending AFC South champions going into 2022, Matt? Yeah, you know, it, it's funny you bring that up because, you know, this is this is certainly, you know, uh, a topic of conversation around here. You know, when, when the owner speaks, when Jim Ursay speaks, you know, to the public or to the team, you know, he always brings up Tennessee. You know, that's that's the chief roadblock for the Colts, or at least it has been the last couple of years in the AFC South and those games, those two matchups within the division have meant so much in determining who wins the South and, and you know, representing that mm-hmm. division in the playoffs. And, you know, it's, it's really been sort of, uh, you know, addition by subtraction with the Colts in mind this off season, you know, it starts with AJ Brown. And I don't know how specifically how those matchups between the Titans and the Texans have gone the last couple of years, but I know for certain that the Colts, it, it's it's not as if Derrick Henry's run all over him. It's been A.J. Brown. The Colts have actually done mm. a nice job, all things considered, 
against Derrick Henry in the ground game. It's A.J. Brown on the outside and Ryan Tannehill that have torched the Colts and have you know gone on a nice little winning streak against Indianapolis in those matchups here. So without him, I mean, the Colts didn't have a first-round pick, but they were celebrating on that first night of the draft when A.J. Brown got traded out of the division. They were doing fist bumps because he's been a thorn in their side. And so now with Traylon Burks there, I know he's a nice little player out of Arkansas, and they think they can get you know similar production. But I've got my questions right away You know, as a rookie coming out here. Robert Woods has really never been a number one guy. He's coming off an injury. You know, they haven't really drafted very well the last couple of years, but they've still gotten it done. You know, Nick Westbrook, Akina out of Indiana, you know, he's a local kid that we're familiar with here. He's an undrafted guy. So I'm just curious how they're going to have explosive plays on offense like they have the last couple of years without A.J. Brown on the outside. And then on defense, yeah, I mean, they were one of three teams or the only team, I should say, last year that had three players with eight sacks with Autry and Simmons and, um, and, you know, as you said, with that, with that injury. So I'm just a little bit curious how they're going to sustain because they've lost a lot of top end talent the last, you know, three or four months here dating back to the draft. You know, this is, this should be Indianapolis's year to get it done. But until you dethrone the King, if you will, mm. um, it really doesn't matter. And the Colts again have talked very openly about what their goals are and how important those matchups are to their success this upcoming season. Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts, joining us. What about the Jaguars with Trevor Lawrence year two? You have year one with Doug Peterson coaching the team. Uh, preseason, some ups and downs, but there's a lot of optimism in North Florida. I guess that's common this time of year with a lot of franchises, but what do you think? Is this a year where they can finally up the win total significantly? Yeah, and I said the same thing last year, and you know, obviously we were all sort of let down, or at least I was, with my expectations, I was a little bit more bullish on Jacksonville last year than most people, uh, but no one foresaw the, uh, you know, the the the, the sideshow, the circus show of of Urban Meyer and um, you know all that, that transpired with that. But they they've got to be better. I think Trevor Lawrence is is going to be good. I think he's going to be a franchise quarterback and a guy that you can really build around. You know, defensively, if you look at their that side of the ball, they they don't have a, a ton going on. They're sort of a team in flux. You know, they've, they've claimed a lot of guys um, this past week. You know, they, they traded LaVisca Chenault, so you're kind of wondering what they're doing on offense. So I, I think they're probably, in all things, uh, all things being equal, they're probably still a year or two away. But I, I still, I mean, don't, don't, don't tell Colts fans that because it, it doesn't matter how good or bad uh, Jacksonville is. They always bring their A game against the Colts. I mean, the Colts haven't won down there on the road since 2014. And we all know what happened last year in mm. week 18 when the Colts were in a win and end situation and they were a 15 point favorite on the road against the worst team in football. And they got blown out. They lost 26 to 11 in a game that really wasn't even that close. So that's a rivalry because the Colts just can't break that hex in Jacksonville mm. and North Florida. Um, so that that's another game that's circled on the Colts, you know, calendar and they play that game week two. They play that next week after Ooh. this first game against the Texans. So they're, they're trying to get a lot of bad blood or a lot of bad taste out of their mouth very quickly to start the season and get off to a good start. All right, Matt, we're in the AFC South, obviously. Let's go outside the division here. Give me your dark horse in the AFC. I mean, I presume, well, correct me if I'm wrong. You tell me who you want or who you would pick objectively maybe to win the whole conference 
A lot of people say Kansas City. I say Buffalo. But tell me who your pick is and who's your dark horse team who might do some damage this season that not everyone is expecting. Yeah, it, it's it's so hard to say because if you look at the AFC, we, we've talked about this a lot in the offseason. If you look at the AFC right now, Mark, you've got 16 teams, right? You, you only keep seven that make the playoffs. Like, as of right now, who are you crossing off? Like, who are you crossing off right now out of 16 teams and saying they don't mm-hmm. have a chance to make the playoffs? I mean, the, the Jets maybe, but even then they, they might surprise some people. Um, maybe Jacksonville. But, again, we just talked about them. They've got that franchise quarterback. Outside of that, that's, that's really about it. I mean, I think Pittsburgh can, can bounce back. I think Cleveland could still surprise some people with Jacoby Brissett. We'll see. Um, but I mean, as of right now, it's, it's anybody's game. And especially in, you know, especially in that West division, if you will, with the Raiders and the Broncos and the chiefs and the chargers just loaded with quarterbacks, you know, the Texans have to play that division. I know the Colts have to play that division, right? The AFC South and the AFC West hooked up this year. Um, it's so difficult to say, I, I would say probably until, you know, proven differently, you got to go with the Chiefs. But a, a dark horse that I like are the Raiders. I'm a huge, mm. huge Derek Carr fan. Um, you know, if, if you're in my inner circle, you get tired of me saying how much <laughs> of a man crush I have on Derek Carr and what he can do. So they, they might be one of those teams to watch out for this year. But the AFC is going to be maybe the most parody-filled conference we've seen in the last couple of decades. Yeah, it is going to be fun to watch, Matt, and I can't wait for Game 1, September 11th at NRG, high noon, Texans and Colts. Thanks for visiting, my friend. You got it. My pleasure. I can't wait to see you. And that has a double meaning, really, because we have not had a chance to see Matt in a little bit because I don't think they traveled. They didn't travel in 2020, obviously, and I don't think they traveled in 2021, but uh, I could be wrong about that. But it is going to be good to see Matt Taylor and the Colts radio team on Sunday and see the Colts as well. Now, we got a lot going on around our Texans world. And when two geeks get together and start nerding out, well, we call that in the lab. And those two geeks are, well, myself, Andrew Doherty. In the lab, next, right here on Texans All Access. It's game week. Yes, sir. Welcome in and welcome back to our second hour. Of Texas All Access. Hopefully, you didn't miss men behind the mics with Matt Taylor, the voice of the Annapolis Colts, and of course, Mark Vandermeer. And as I said earlier, game week is just, it, it flies. It really does fly. You have sort of a routine, but you got to get back in that routine. And that's what we're getting into the fact that we've got two hours again during the season. Off season, we get one hour from six to seven. Uh, uh, in the season, we get two hours on, well, we get three on Tuesday. We get two on Wednesday. We get one on Thursday because it's Thursday Night Football. But then we get two on Friday. So I'll be back on Friday. Again, like I said, it's my ninth year doing this. So we got this down to a science, and we've been doing in the lab for about five or six years. And that is Drew Dory and myself. And we get together, and we geek out about any number of things. And that's why we call it In the Lab. Here's this week's episode. I like starting the season with the Colts. I was doing... Texans matchup and I was going back and looking at the 2010 game against the Colts and Aaron Foster taking over and what a charge that gave this stadium gorgeous man. gorgeous oh, gorgeous man game. three touchdowns oh, 231 awesome. yards oh. easily the finest individual performance on the ground 
by a Texan in team history. Just okay. so much fun. What's Easily. The, what's the second one? Man, mm, you got me there. It's probably it's Arian. Or maybe Lamar Miller, the the ninety seven yard nine yeah. that he got the ninety seven yarder. Yep. But I would have to go back and look. Yeah, I'd have to study that. I just I just threw that out there just thinking we always talk about that one, but are there other ones that stand out? He didn't get the yardage, but he kind of was I mean, I think he was the difference in the the game offensively. Seven and one Texans, seven and one Bears, yeah. Sunday night football at Chicago in two thousand twelve. He gets the touchdown catch. You know, he had one. I, it was a very you had to slug it out type of effort, but he was he was very good that, that yeah, day. Yeah. In, a, in a sort of odd way. It's yeah. not no one's ever going to say that's the the second best performance, but that's the one that still kind of jumps out to me of all his performances. Yeah, he had one. Uh, I think it was Tennessee in fourteen. I thought it was pretty good. His and, game and, against and Dallas in, and in eleven. Yeah, his game against Dallas in twenty fourteen. Even though on a losing effort, I remember the third quarter, first half we couldn't really get anything going. Neither team really could in that game against Dallas 2014. And then Arian really kind of woke everybody up in the third quarter. Didn't give it to him enough in overtime. Yeah, and then tried to throw it to him in overtime. I don't want to get into that. Didn't get it to him enough. Anyways, that's neither here nor there. John, we're going to do a few things relative to game week. You're going to answer or finish a sentence for me. Oh, boy. And we're going to also have our... Cream of the crop predictions. The cream of the crop. Okay. So we're going to welcome our good friend, Randy the Macho Man Savage, back in. Oh, baby. Yes. So the Macho Man. The cream of the crop. Thank you, Macho Man. The Macho Man give us his uh, his stylings for cream of the crop, but then we're going to give who we think will be the cream of the crop. But I want you to answer this sentence. Ooh, okay. Ultimately, the Texans will triumph over the Colts because, finish that sentence. This is a much more physical team. It's a much more explosively twitchy team in the trenches. Okay. And those words often don't go together all that often when you're talking about interior players. But to beat the Colts, they have those guys. Yes. And you've got to match those guys. Mm-hmm. And I heard, I can't remember who it was I was listening to this morning. Whether it was, I think it was maybe, <clears throat> excuse me, Sean and Seth. And they were talking about the offensive line, our offensive line. And our offensive line might include Titus Howard, Justin Britt, Laramie Tunsil on the front. Mm-hmm. But Titus being a guard last year and now at a tackle makes a massive difference. A.J. Cam being at guard makes a massive difference. Experienced, has played these guys twice a year. Yes. For the last five, and six years. physical. Mm-hmm. He did an interview with Mark and I the other day and shook hands with him. I'm like, my hands are pretty big. I mean, I've got like size 10 and a quarter hands. I mean, I, I would go to the combine and I would get hand uh, kudos You're on You're a big Twitter. old bear claw guy, yeah. So when he t- grabbed my hand, I'm like, wow. And he's had a really good preseason, I thought. And then when Kenyon comes around, that changes everything at left guard. Even if it's Justin McCray to start, I think it's better than how the Texans started at, at, at left guard. I would have rather had McCray at guard, Howard at tackle, as opposed to what they ended up starting in week one last year. So mm-hmm. I just think that change of Titus out to go, uh, tackle, A.J. Kane coming in at guard and Kenyon potentially going in at guard or Justin McCray guard, I think changes things for this offense, no doubt. And defensively, 
I think Malik Collins has taken his game to a different level. Roy's in the second year. I just think there's so much better inside. You got Booker. You got Heinish. You got some dudes that have some twitch, some stout power. Um, and then you add Oboe outside to what you already had. Then you got your two vets. I just think you're that much more explosively twitchy outside. And I think the Colts, I don't want to say are the same, but the Colts added Ngakwe on the outside. Now, he won't play the run. But if a team's going to have great edge rushers, I'm okay with that because you got Laramie and you got Titus out there. But they add Ngakwe. But on the offensive line, they've lost... They lost Castano two years ago, and I don't think they've ever really fully replaced him. So right. now it's Matt Pryor. They got Danny Pinter replacing Mark Glowinski, and Glowinski was the glue that held that line together. It's still going to be a good offensive line. But those are two losses over the last couple of years that right. have are, could really hurt the Colts. So if your defensive line can match up, especially in those two particular spots, and then you can win and win consistently with that explosive twitch, that power up front, and you got a great opportunity to win this football game. All right. I like that. My answer would be the because they win because takeaways. Yep. And a rejuvenated run game. Okay. I think I think you're gonna have to get takeaways, clearly, for this for this defense, for this team to to flourish. And I do think the run game with Damian Pierce is gonna be so much better oh, yeah. than what we saw last year. Yes. And you know, Justin Britt, I talked to him in the locker room the other day, and he said, all right, listen, we're not going to get nine, ten yards of carry like we did. He's like, Everyone needs to chill on that. But we got to stay committed to it. we got to keep getting the four- and five-yard chunks uh, consistently. Because they didn't do that last year. It was no. in the 3-2 range, 3-4 range, which is unacceptable. You know, they, they, and I'm not speaking out of turn. We've heard Nick Casario say yep. it. We've heard Lovey Smith say that. Everyone no. has said that's unacceptable. Daggum off as a lineman said it. Yeah, I'm just parroting what they say. So... They do those two things, that makes a world of difference mm-hmm. over what you saw them do against the Colts last year. This is a big sticking point in their respective craw- or their collective craws. Mm-hmm. They were absolutely smoked with no real excuse. You get smoked at Buffalo, that's kind of an excuse. It was Davis Mills' first road start, yeah. and it was in torrential downpour. Oh. I mean, you can you can kind of wipe your hands with that one, so to speak, but. The other two, you were in perfect weather conditions, and you got blasted by a superior opponent, and they want more. Yep. Know, the Texans want more. Okay, so you brought up Malik Collins, and we're going to add this in. I didn't put this in the table of contents, but okay. true or false, mm. we did see him a little bit, but for the most part, he was, uh, he was not in in the preseason. True or false, the guys we did not see in the preseason and the things – on offense and defense, we did not see in the preseason, meaning blitzes on defense, yep. uh, different plays on offense. But those things that we that did not show up in August will also prove to be the difference on Sunday. True or false? Because we didn't see Brandon yeah. Cooks. We didn't see Justin Britt. I think it makes a difference in how the units operate for sure. You can also look at the Colts and say, well, you know, they didn't play their guys either. Right. And I think a big difference is, does Shaquille Leonard play? That's Been Darius Leonard, with, for for those of you who yeah. can't remember, the inside linebacker. He changed right. his name to Shaquille. Yeah, exactly. Shaq Leonard also. The maniac, the guy that we all, I don't know, I, I would put him on a villains list. I think you were the one that, that said I'd, I'd put him on the Rushmore of yeah, Texans yeah. villains up there with T.Y. Hilton. Yeah, he's just so he frustrating to play. Three of those. He Rushmore. wasn't even healthy last year. He was still punching the ball out from everybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's made such big plays against us the last Huge few years. Huge difference maker. 
Huge difference maker now. I don't know if he's going to be ready for week one. My guess is he is going to be on the field dressed out. How much he plays could be a difference. I'd be stunned if he doesn't play. I would absolutely be, I would be stunned too. if I'm he does totally not play of, of, in some form or fashion. I'm totally preparing for him to play. Yeah. And he didn't do anything in the preseason. Buckner didn't do a whole heck of a lot in the preseason. Grover Stewart did play in the preseason. So they didn't play their full guys. They're full of a lot of guys. We didn't either. But there's a lot that revolves around Brandon Cooks. Mm-hmm. There's a lot that's going to change with your protection when you have a guy like Laramie Tunsil out on the edge. Because you're like, Laramie, you got Ngakwe? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. So you can set the protection different ways. You mm-hmm. can you know, move your running back and have your running back do different things. So I think schematically it makes a difference, especially at Brandon Cooks, where you can line Brandon up, what matchups you can get him on, what you can glean from a defense from just where Brandon is lined up. If there's an, a perimeter corner that lines up with Brandon inside, that's a decent idea. Well, that's probably man. Let's watch the safeties after the snap. Yep, that's man. Okay. This is where I want to go with this route and gives Davis Mills some hints and tips, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I think those things make a difference for this team. I think the difference makers were the ones that obviously didn't play a lot. But I think you mentioned the biggest difference maker in this one, and that is Damian Pierce and the running game. Now, you can look at the running game and say, well, success in the running game is the result of the process up front of those guys occupying that front, moving that front, getting a hat on Darius Shaquille Leonard and occupying him as well to give Damian just little slivers of space. But I think also the one thing last year's team really could not kind of tap into was this game is 17-17 and it demands us to win the next five minutes of game action as physically dominant as it can be. Mm -hmm. This game is teetering on the brink of us really pushing it over the edge, can we take it over physically? And I think with a a young hammerhead like Troy Harrison at fullback with A.J. Can and Kenyon Green on the inside, you have an opportunity to do that more so than you could last year or the year before. You just couldn't take over a game. And that I would love to see. Like in that 2010 matchup, that offensive line and Arian took over the game in the second half and yeah. physically just brought it to the Colts. And if there's a team that... You want to go in and just bust it right in the mouth. You know, you go in and bust the bully right in the mouth. You don't back down, but you can't tiptoe in either. That game gets to the third, fourth quarter, and it demands physicality to take over the next 18, 15, 12 minutes of game action. Then you got to be able to do that. I think Texans can tap into that a little bit more um, than they could in the past, and that's going to be, I think, a massive, massive point in this game. All right, time for cream of the crop. Oh, okay. The cream of the crop. Okay. Okay, my cream of the – I'm going to go first. You go first. My cream of the crop is going to be offensive coordinator Pep Hamilton. Oh, oh, wow. Okay. I've, I've touched on this a few times since February. Mm-hmm. I can't stress enough that if what we've seen and what we're hearing turns out to be true – Things will be much different than what we've seen around here. Mm-hmm. Offensively, the last eight years, I think he's going to get guys in position to succeed. He's going to accentuate strengths. Yep. He's not going to jam a square peg in the round hole. Right. He's going to be creative in in a different sort of way. Yep. In a, I think a m- more sensible sort of way. And so I think he does that. And we saw glimpses of it. We sure. saw glimpses of it in August. I mean. 
what they were doing with the run game. And yes, I know it was preseason, but we didn't see that in the preseason here over the last decade. Sure. We didn't see it with Kubiak. You didn't see Arian peeling off big runs like that. Right. You really did not. So that's that's what I'm going with. I'm going with Pep Hamilton. He's good. if the Texans are to win and to take care of business and be this tough physical team that they have said that Pep said that Lovey Smith has said he wants them to be. It's going to be because of what he's dialed up and what he's kind of helping still up front with that offensive line and with this running game. I'm going to use a phrase. In fact, I'm, I'm and and one more addendum to this. And with what he's done since February, installing this offense mm-hmm. with Davis Mills. Davis has been up in those offices, yep. working with him, mm-hmm. getting things right, saying, "Well, I don't, I, I think that's, I like that call, but what about this? Right. Da, 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 this I think would work. They've been working on this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say a phrase, and at first you're gonna go, wait a second, that's paradoxical in some sense. But I think an offense, a good offensive coordinator, has to have stubborn malleability. I love it, yes. Meaning you've got to be stubborn on certain things. Right. But being malleable means you are flexible to other things. Mm-hmm. That during the game, hey, I've, I've stu- we stubbornly have to stick to the run because it might pop. This is the game it might pop. Malleability tells you, you know what? They're eating us alive. Yeah. And they're staying in their base. When we go to this, we've got to make this adjustment, and we've got to make it quickly. And so – Everything that you've done during the week can get, I don't want to say thrown out the window, but it can be adjusted. But if you have stubborn malleability, as in we ran it, it didn't work, but we're going to stick to it and see how it goes. I like that, that, yeah. And be flexible off of that. And I think that's one way that uh, I see Pep being different than play callers maybe uh, in the past, which I'm okay with. My cream of the crop is going to be a guy that you mentioned just a little while ago I brought up, and that's Malik Collins. All right. I think Willie Collins during training camp was playing at a level that I've not seen him since his days in Nebraska. Nice. His quickness was the same, if not better, than it was last year. His power, he's so quick and concise with his hand movement and everything he's doing, and he has counters for everything. Now, it's a battle going against Quentin Nelson. It's going to be a battle going against Danny Pinter, even though he's going and starting presumably for the first time if it is Pinter a guard, which I expect. Then you got to go against Ryan Kelly at center. So that, that interior is pretty stout and pretty tough, but I think Malik matches up with them really well because of his quickness. And he's not just a guy that runs up field at 288 pounds, 285 pounds. He's a good solid 305. And if you see Malik, his, his butt and his thighs are just massive. <laughs> so it's not like he just runs up field and gets knocked out of gaps. He gets up field, but he holds his own and then can redirect when he gets there. I think Malik Collins ends up being a massive figure in this week one, he's my he's my cream of the crop to go with your Pep Hamilton. I like your Pep Hamilton cream of the crop. It's really good. It's really really good. But I'm going with Malik Collins on the defensive side. And I think he's got to be a big key. Well, you know what? I like your Malik Collins, and I also like your stubborn malleability. So Thank we're you. just liking everything Thank today. You. This has been fun. How you like that oxymoron? Stubborn malleability. I think it's something all offensive coordinators need to have at some point in their repertoire. But hopefully, Pep Hamilton will show. That he's got that and then some on Sunday calling plays against the Indianapolis Colts. Now, there's plenty going on around the NFL. Why is Friday a big day for one of the great quarterbacks in the league? What's going on with other squads as well? We'll have that right here on Texans All Access. We go around the NFL next. Stay with us. Stay with us.
Stay with us. We got one final segment of this edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. What a great show it's been. We had Nick Casario on with Mark and myself. Mark stopped by for a little 20 questions. John Grenard was in the house with D.P. Sitter for a deep slant interview of the week. Brought to you by Xfinity. Matt Taylor was here, the voice of the Colts, uh, who did a little mem behind the mics with Mark Vandermeer. And then, of course, we got in the lab with Drew Doherty. That's always fun stuff. So let's finish up by going around the league. And probably the biggest item to me going around the league is, and I've asked this numerous times of our guest, John McClain, et cetera, et cetera. What's going to happen with Lamar Jackson's contract? And well, we should know by Friday. We should know whether the Ravens and Lamar Jackson will come together. I won't even say his agent because he's his own agent. He and his mom And there's been no agreement. Well, today, he set Friday as the deadline for a deal. Now, the other side of this is his claim that, yeah, we are still talking, but Friday is the deadline. We get to Saturday, and there's no deal. We're done. If that happens, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, this is the fifth year of his last, that's it. So if they can't come to a deal, now the the Ravens can franchise him, which I would imagine they're going to do at the end of the year if they can't get a deal done by Friday. But Lamar seems to be a guy that he says it's Friday, it's Friday. It's not like, well, Friday, but maybe we'll move it to Wednesday. No, no, no. He seems like a guy that um, sets a deadline and he is going to stick with it. Now, like I said, He told reporters today in Baltimore, as of right now, we're still talking. The week's not over yet. That deadline's coming up very, very soon on Friday. Now, the day earlier, on Thursday, we have NFL football. Real ones that count in the standings. Not like Baltimore's 23-game preseason streak. Who cares? And not the fact that Texas were 3 in other preseason. It's fun. It's fun to get wins. But now it's for real. And it starts Bills-Rams in SoFi. The Rams will be dropping the flag, baby. They already got their incredible rings. But they're going to drop the banner in Los Angeles. That's the first time that the Rams have had a championship in Los Angeles since the 19... Boy, have they ever won one in Los Angeles? Now I think about it, I don't know that they have because they moved out to L.A. in the 50s. Probably got one in 51. I think that was the year, maybe. So you can check me on that. Go see how I did. But they didn't want one in the 60s, 70s, 80s. Got to a Super Bowl. And then by the 90s, they moved to St. Louis. The only championship that I could think of they have is in 1999 when they won it in St. Louis. So they'll drop the banner. It's so far. So that's going to be fun. Bills, Rams. I usually do my predictions for games on Friday for the games on Sunday. So... I guess I got to go on record here. I like the Bills to be this. I, I think the Bills are going to win it. I know I fall in line with a lot of people. I've been saying it for a while. Especially when the Bills got Von Miller, I thought, man, if Von is anything like he was with the Rams last year, look out. That defense could be hella nasty with the Bills. I'm going Bills to win in L.A. I think the Rams take a step back. I think the Rams are a top-10 team in the league still. As Mark and I talked about that, about power rankings and things like that, I think the Rams are a top-10 team, but – I think over in the NFC, I think Trey Lance is going to be all that. I think the Packers will be solid again, another 12-13 win season. 
Uh, and I think the Eagles are going to surprise some teams, and the Cowboys have as much talent as anybody in the league. So I think those are the teams to end up watching the NFC. I just don't know what to think about the Buccaneers. But I'm going Bills to win tomorrow. And you know what? Let's have them cover the spread. The Texans picked their captains. A lot of teams announcing that today. I think the Bills announced theirs. They've got like a 1,000 captains. I sent that picture to Dre and to Mark. I was like, man, this is participation trophy stuff. Nine captains. Well, the Texans have five. Two offense, two defense, and one special teams. And offense, it's hopefully the pass-catch combination we're going to see a lot of this year. Davis Mills, Brandon Cooks, offensive captains. Over on defense, how about Jerry Hughes? Not even here for, what, three months? Four months? He is a captain, and Christian Kirksey, not surprising that the man in the middle is a captain on defense. So Jerry Hughes, Christian Kirksey on defense, and our fave, our buddy, longtime long snapper, pro bowler, John Weeks, special teams captain. So Davis Brandon, Jerry Hughes, Kirko, and Weeksy are your five captains for your Houston Texans. Get pumped. I love it. I, I don't look when everybody, well, you have these captains. I saw somebody make a comment that Trey Lance was not voted captain with the 49ers. I'm like, look, man, you got Trent, you got Kittle. You got uh, check. You got all kinds of players on that 49ers you know, roster that have probably been captains in the past and aren't going to lose being captains. I'm not putting anything over on Trey Lance, but you can make a lot, a lot is made of that. Okay, well, this guy wasn't made a captain here in Houston. Does that mean that Laramie Tunsil's not going to be a leader or that Titus Howard's not going to be a leader or JB, Justin Britt's not going to be a leader? Yeah, those guys are going to lead. They're just not given the title of, of captain as voted on by – uh, the players. So, captains voted here in Houston. Bills Rams tomorrow night. Lamar Jackson. And finally, I asked this question to Mark what he thought. Joe Flacco will start the first three games, presumably, for the Jets. And it starts against the Ravens, Lamar Jackson's team, this weekend. Zach Wilson is out until week four, the number two overall pick in the 2021 draft. With that bone bruise, just couldn't get back ready for week one. They decided to give him more time. And so he'll be back in week four. But Joe Flacco, the venerable, 2008, he was drafted. How about that? Still sticking around, still kicking. Jets take on the Ravens, and Joe Flacco will start that game. So there is your Around the NFL news of the day right here on Texans All Access. A big thanks to Nick Casario, to Mark Vandermeer, to Drew Doherty, John Grenard, D.P. Sidhu, Matt Taylor, and all of you for listening. Thank you so much. We'll see you tomorrow. And as always, go Texans.